This is Fair and Square, a podcast from Hudson Sandler. This is the Fair and Square podcast from Hudson Sandler. I'm Adam Batstone with the latest episode in this podcast series in which I'll be talking to a variety of people from different walks of life who are making a difference in business, science, media, the arts, and to the world we live in. This is an opportunity to hear in more depth from those with experience, perspective, or opinions that shape contemporary society. Today, I'm delighted to be hosting a double header with my guests Charles Peaty and Russell Taylor. For readers of the Daily Telegraph newspaper, Messrs Peaty and Taylor may be familiar as the creators and the brains behind the comic strip, Alex. The strip has been running in different publications for almost 40 years, during which time Alex has experienced the peaks and troughs of a career and a life that has seen him adapt or fail to adapt to all the latest innovations, technology, cultural, social and political phenomena that have been thrown at him. Charles and Russell, welcome to Fair and Square. Thank you. Hello, Adam. Thank you. Forty years—that makes us feel very old. (laughs) I was going to say—I was going to say to you, actually, Russell, when you first met and talked about the idea for a comic strip that satirised the kind of 1980s city yuppies, for those of you listening who remember it, I doubt that you would have thought that all these years later that comic strip would still be going strong. Did you? Did you even consider it? No, definitely not. I mean, Charles had the idea for the cartoon before I joined, so you should probably ask him about that. But basically, it was for a London-based newspaper called the London Daily News, which sadly no longer exists. That was the Maxwell. The Maxwell paper lasted about six months, and they wanted a satire about young people living in London, which at the time was yuppies. So I, I luckily met Charles and, and managed to get the gig, and I thought, yeah, yuppies, well, this might last 18 months, maybe, then they'll be gone. And Oh, you liar. <laughs> we had fantasies of it, uh, <laughs> being an amazing success, <laughs> and if it lasted 40 years, we'd be multi years. <laughs> yes, that was, that's where we went wrong. So one part of that has come true. It's almost 40 uh, well, years. Well, it's lasted that long, yeah. Sadly, we haven't kind of made untold riches yet. So, so, yet. What, so, so Charles, Russell said it was really your kind of idea principally. What was the thinking behind Alex? It originally? was a rough idea, and it had to be thought up very very quickly and I was actually there's another guy that I was working with called Mark and we were tinkering around with ideas and we we had four different characters who were all represented different walks of life and Alex was actually the kind of subsidiary character of being the bloke in the suit but he was the only one that had any jokes and so we went back to the paper and said look it's about this yuppie called Alex Alec actually Alec originally it was like smart Alec okay I get it yep and so that, well, that was the original idea? That was the rough idea of Alex, and he looked pretty much what he looks like now, kind of big nose suit. But when Russell came in, I mean, you, you put yourself into it, and Russell's character kind of goes into Alex, my character goes into Alex. Because that's the thing, that you're both writing the scripts, but you're focused on the artwork, is yeah, that right? Yeah, and Russell writes more jokes than I do nowadays. I mean, the first maybe 10 years, we we're sitting there together arguing about jokes every day but uh, after still that, do we're not, well we're not sitting together anymore but yeah we do still arguing about the jokes occasionally argue, yeah. and I suppose one of the kind of crucial differentiators about Alex as a comic strip compared with some of the other famous long running comic strips that you might think of is that he has grown up and evolved so you say he still looks broadly the same but 
he's yeah. 40 years older than they, when you first yeah, that's right, created yeah. him. And, and I mean, that's a blessing and a curse, I would say, in that um, it's, a, it's a shame that people do have to get old and your characters have to get old and you kind of have a great joke about a baby and you don't have a baby in the strip anymore. But Alex is of his time and I think he's of his generation and uh, the characters in it do reflect new people that come in to the city and to you know, national life. And you, Russell, was that, would you say, a conscious decision to think, yes, we want him to grow up, or did it just sort of happen, you know, six months later, you know, something else has happened? I seem to remember we actually decided it. Yeah, we we did, but also we had, like, events, like, you know, birth of a baby and people getting married and so on, so it felt like it had to, people had to get older. Because the classic cartoon strip, like, Charlie Brown was 11 years old for... 50 years. Dilbert's perennially 32. I think Dilbert's gone now, actually, but he was always 32 years old. And if I'm watching South Park with my 11-year-old daughter at the moment, and of course they've all been 8 years old for 27 years or something, and we thought, well, let's make the character actually age in real time. Now that Alex is technically in his 60s, it's a little harder, perhaps, than than, than we thought. But there again, we didn't think it would go on quite as Indeed, indeed. And for people who are listening to this who are based in the UK may well be familiar with the comic creation Alan Partridge, Steve Coogan, the comedian's uh, sort of sports commentator and personality. Mm-hmm. And Alan Partridge has been around for almost as long as Alex, maybe not quite so long. Steve Coogan says that one of the reasons why he's kept him going is because he kind of feels that that evolution means he's always got something new to say because stuff happens and Alan Partridge reacts differently. Do you feel the same way, Charles, about Alex? The fact that he has sort of grown up means that he's an ever-changing, yeah. evolving character. That's a very good question, and I wish I'd thought of an answer in advance. <laughs> um, I, I, he does evolve. I mean, I'd say he evolves less than some of the other characters. He's more just like this sort of awful, blinkered, kind of rather simple, snobbish, but winner kind of a male character. Well, <laughs> and for you, for you, Russell. Does that mean that when you're thinking of ideas for, for scripts and for things to happen, you, you can almost know how Alex would respond and think, oh, I, I wonder what Alex would think about that? Or it, it, He's so sort of hardwired into your... Well, you can channel your more negative thoughts into Alex and do things in the cartoon that perhaps you secretly like to do in life but would be much too polite and well brought up to do. Yeah, it, it, it's funny if it's changed, Alex, because obviously... It's hard to remember, anyone who remembers the 1980s, the, the Thatcher government, and that everyone had to be a little bit left-wing, and you had to sort of support the miners and the green and common women and be against Reagan and Thatcher. And Alex was quite a shocking character when he came along because he was very materialistic. Mm-hmm. And, but these days, that's not really shocking anymore because everyone's materialistic. Young people are materialistic. They want to earn lots of money. They want to save the planet at the same time, but they want to get rich. And... But it was actually quite shocking then, and it's sort of so that's changed about Alex's character. Quite a few of the jokes we can't do anymore. I mean, we did a lot of jokes about snobbery in the old days, about him worrying about eating asparagus with his knife and fork, or which way to pass the port, which, mm-hmm. or wearing brown shoes, which we just probably couldn't do these days. Yeah. I mean, nothing to anyone. I was going to ask you about that, actually. I mean, obviously, there's those kind of issues where just because of changing times, those sort of mores no longer apply. But there's another aspect of modern life or contemporary life, which means that some of the things which were funny and were okay to joke about 30 years ago are now pretty much taboo. Are there things that you joked about 
back in the early days and the early 90s, which you think we wouldn't do that now? Well, there's quite a lot of stuff, both from the point of political correctness and also just, for example, one of our early jokes was mobile phones came along. They were completely new. And we didn't have mobile phones in those days, but we thought of lots of great jokes about Alex would use a mobile phone in an inappropriate place. And it was funny. Here's him on the beach on his mobile phone. Here's him in a restaurant. Nowadays, everyone's on their mobile phones the whole time, taking photos, selfies on the beach or photographing their lunch for Instagram. So that joke is no longer funny, the idea that he's on his mobile phone, and that's somehow shocking. And we go through a lot of subject matter, <clears throat> don't we? I mean, we had... To, there are certain... Yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd say that there are certain things like things people are snobbish about once you've done a joke about that that's sort of over you know you're not going to do that again it's a bit like the gadgets that used to come in um the innovations that, the catalog. innovations catalog yes. yeah and we, yeah, we just yeah. went through that and then we got to the end of the catalog and uh, that, that was, was it that. really yeah <laughs> i would honestly say that we're both probably quite politically correct people in our true selves and we were aware of that kind of thing but we we still thought it was funny, Alex being snobbish and being materialistic and awful and that kind of thing. But we personally didn't really, you know, we didn't really subscribe to those kind views. of thing anyway. But there certainly are lots of cartoons we did about subjects that we probably couldn't touch these days. There are, yeah, there are a few. I mean, in more recent years, actually, to be honest. Um, but but I would say I would stand up next to any of our cartoons. I wouldn't kind of go. Oh, I'm ashamed of that. Or yeah, wipe that from the archive. And that yeah. kind of thing. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I might do if I had to, but out of just cowardice. But but in my own kind of heart, I kind of think no. I mean, we thought it through. We and we tried to be careful about that kind of thing. But I I think of Alex, uh, the strip Alex, as being a kind of document of life as it goes mm. on in a sort of in a particular segment of society, mm. but also spreading wider, like during lockdown and during COVID. And I think of that's what Alec, but that's what the strip's about, really, is about kind of documenting a particular side of life, probably a you know, middle-class professional mm. kind of life. And and there isn't a lot of that around that, that I'm aware of in, in you know, narratives in popular culture. And so we have our little niche. I mean, the other thing which strikes me about the, the changing times we've lived through in, since you first created the strip. And obviously it was originally, as you say, it was originally done for a newspaper. It still appears in a newspaper. Print media, in the sort of old-fashioned sense of a, a sort of physical newspaper that you hold in your hands, is on the wane, as we all know. And I'm interested to know what you think, Charles, that might mean for the future, not just of, of Alex, but other comic strips written for newspapers and magazines. Do, do you think, as an art form, they're, they're on the way out? It's hard to know. I would say that, I mean, when you're talking about print media, the comic strip form is absolutely dictated by the needs of print media, which means that you have a, a rectangle which is going to be the same shape every day on a particular page and is limited in size. And I suppose with digital media, that's not really necessary. And people, you know, run things as long as they want these days on, you know, in a, in a digital form. That's just not the same. And it remains to be seen what happens to digital media because, of course, they have big digital subscriptions and so on, and people read the stuff. And you could put animations, you could put long comic strips with, you know, 20 frames in them, I guess. The thing that I suppose I, I think is difficult for young people starting is that in my day, people used a lot of illustrations and a lot of cartoons in anything, that any article they had would have something with it. 
and they could either go and look in their kind of file and see if they had a photograph of something that was appropriate that they could stick on that page, or they'd phone up a cartoonist like me and say, you know, I've got to have a cartoon by five o'clock of elephants and hair dryers or something, and I would do it. And they, various reasons, but the, you can you can find a picture on Google normally that is appropriate, and they would tend to use that rather than a cartoon nowadays. And with AI which, again, it's early days for AI, and actually I find it very interesting and quite an exciting sort of thing to watch develop. But it's very easy for an editor to just say, give me a picture of an elephant and a hairdryer, and it'll just do you one. And it's copyright-free. Yeah, yeah. So you yeah. have to pay anyone for it. Yes. I mean, obviously, AI threatens many or poses challenges for many aspects of the media. And as you say, Russell, you know, you could just ask AI to make you a cartoon of an elephant with a hairdryer. From your perspective, Charles, do you, do you feel threatened by that or do you think actually there's always going to be a demand for the human touch? Um, I don't personally feel threatened, but I might be kind of totally delusional like that. I think that the things that it looks to me as if it's exciting for is things like animation. Um, and I'm, I've actually been working with a little startup called Exactly, uh, you know, working on some of that. I think that it does take the work away from people that might otherwise do be a jobbing illustrator on their way to becoming a cartoonist. And they're, qu they're not very good at cartoons, I would say. Um, AI is better at doing something photographic. You've done some Alex cartoons with AI, haven't yeah, they, they, and they're, you? Yeah, know, they're kind of nice, but they, they, you know, they're not, they're, well, they're long reasons, but they're, they're not particular enough, and, they, they're, and they're pattern recognition machines. So they, there aren't any surprises. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, I get it. So the other thing, Russell, where Alex does exist beyond the printed page is he has various social media accounts. So I think he has a presence on LinkedIn and uh, Facebook and things like that. Is that something that you look mm -hmm. after or is that someone else is running That's that? something that probably neither of us really looks <laughs> after. We should think. Yes, I, I put on LinkedIn, I, I have to put a disclaimer saying, by the way, Alex is not a real character and can't actually get you a job. And that's what people most people use LinkedIn for. But yes, the, the, all the technology is very interesting. I mean, the, going back to the AI point, what's interesting is AI can do pictures of Alex. I mean, Charles is right. They're not right. It's a bit like I used to read the Beano as a kid. And when Leon Baxendale was on holiday, the Bash Street kids were drawn by someone else. And it just wasn't right. Yeah, there was something you, right. you knew it wasn't the right artist. But they were, they were very good replica of his style. And it's the same, I think, with, with, with cartoons. Writing jokes is interesting. I have asked Chatbot to write some Alex jokes. It doesn't really understand what a sense of humour is. Right, yes, yeah, it's uh, slightly po It what understands what he's probably palming off GPT jokes on me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm drawing uh, I wish I could. Uh, it understands what, a, what the human reaction to a joke is. So I actually said, can you write me an Alex cartoon about compliance or something? And it knew what Alex was, and it recognised it was about the financial world, and it had Alex at an... AGM or something, and it had Alex and Clyde, so it knew our two principal characters. And it had sort of Alex making a joke, and it knew that when people make a joke, everyone laughs, and someone looks pissed off because they're the butt of the joke, and everyone else is, is, is amused by it, and Alex looks very pleased with himself. What it couldn't write was the actual joke that he said, yes. which made no sense at all. Yes. So I'm hoping that my job at least is safe for about six better. months. Six I mean, months, it, maybe. I mean, it will do. I think it will do amazing things. I mean, and I think people just have to work with it. One way or another, the creative people will just have to find ways to. Well, I think you can't it. reduce writing a joke to an algorithm because who knows what's funny? I mean, Charles and I argue constantly about whether a joke's good or not because 
it's it's a subjective part opinion. of the beauty it, of the joke is the unexpected, uh, and, the, and that has been the thing with Alex over the years is the final frame is an unexpected it's not payoff. meant to be expected exactly, exactly. Yeah. yes and there's a certain form to an answer normally yes as you say they're normally you think they're talking about something for three frames in a sensitive caring manner it turns out that being completely insensitive is the sort of joke but what that actually turns on may or may not be funny and people have different perceptions of, of what's funny of obviously including sometimes Charles and I we have a sort of Venn diagram intersection point of things that we both think are funny, which is Alex's joke. Actually, I'd say it was more the case that we quite often have to explain the joke to <laughs> And then when, when it's explained, when Russell explains, when it's like, ah, ah, That's ah, it. Nah, yeah, very good. And, and then one kind of maybe finds a way of rephrasing it so that one can decipher the actual various meanings. <laughs> well, sometimes so. there are jokes that sort of I pick up from my city contacts, which I say to Charles, I think the city will really like this one, but yeah. we don't really understand it, but it's what they're Take all talking on trust. about. <laughs> you have to trust me and identify if I get it right or not, but... What do you think um, Alex would make of AI? Has AI featured at all in any of the strips recently? A is, lot. Is, 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 yes. yeah. So many about AI. Is he worried that yes. it's going to ruin mean, things for him? It is definitely a, impacting the city, particularly at the moment. I think settlements is the first area it's going to go, the sort of back office people that do the paperwork. Compliance is very vulnerable, apparently, because, again, it's, it's, it's rule application of rules to procedures, which AI is very good at doing. Of course, Alex hates compliance, mm, so the pain mm. of his life, so he'd be delighted if compliance officer all got fired. Is his job at risk? I think it is, because basically, what is Alex's job? We've never actually exactly. known. Exactly. It's what, a complete mystery. Yeah. Well, basically, um, there was a story we, we ran during lockdown, a guy working from home, which was pretty much based on a conversation I had with one, a guy I know. He was working from home in his spare room, talking on the phone. His wife was there, and she came in one day and, with a cup of coffee and said, Darling, listen to a lot of your conversations do you talk bollocks for a living? And he thought, thought shit, I've been rumbled. <laughs> and I think that's it. You know, a lot of those Alex's are just plausible bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Can AI write plausible bullshit? Yes, that's what it's really good at doing. Reams and reams of it. So <laughs> I think Alex's job probably is quite vulnerable. But can it do all the kind of snobbish one-upmanship nuances that Alex likes? He likes that. Yeah. But he's, over the years, he's been an enthusiastic early adopter. I mean, he talked about him with his you know, outsized mobile phone on the beach or whatever. Yeah. Would you not think that by the same token the potential for AI might be something which would appeal to him. Well, I think initially, like a lot of people, he'll get away with using it probably to write reports for his clients and things like yeah. that. But at but some point... they'll never read anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did a cartoon the other week, which I quite liked, about brokers writing their notes for, for fund managers and having to pad it out, because these days fund managers have to pay for the research, and so they get AI to pad it out goes to the client, who then gets AI to summarise it for them. So AI is sort of both ends of the equation. What, what, reading it. So we, we, we've talked about how technology might affect the way we sort of produce a cartoon and might even affect the way that people receive it and see it and if, if newspapers' circulations dwindle further. What is your view about your audience? I mean, Alex has, has grown older over the years. Do you feel that his sort of fan base has also grown older or have you been able to acquire new fans? They've all retired. They've all retired now. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, we have, I mean, we have various different <laughs> audiences, and, and I would say we have a city audience, which mm. we still have which from the early days. We seem to have a kind of country audience that are Telegraph readers, mm. and all sorts of people retweet cartoons when we put them up, and soon they, they look like there are all sorts of people. 
Um, I would say that it does skew older, though. It skews right. to our generation, and it's about our generation. I suppose the perspective is our generation, like we're parents rather than children, if you know what I mean, of, of parents nowadays. And that's the characters in the strip probably do jokes about that. But we also do write jokes about, I don't know, the millennials and the generation Zers or Zers or whichever it is, uh, which they seem to pick up on. We do get some. We don't worry about it yeah. too much, do we? We kind of we try and make the jokes sort of funny and uh, just hope that that'll kind of translate into a continued readership. We have heard stories of people giving their interns and graduate trainees Alex books to say, "This is how the city works. Mm. Read this, and you'll <laughs> understand it all." In fact. We used to quite often go into banks and sign books at Christmas. We're not really allowed in for mm. compliance reasons anymore. And I remember many times sort of little, some little graduate yeah. would come up and say, oh, can you sign this book for me? Oh, I've been reading Alex ever since I was a kid. And my dad used to have him in the loo. And he was saying, so why are you wearing a suit and working at a bank? The yeah. idea was to yeah. put you off, not to encourage it. Oh, no, I loved it. It's so interesting. <laughs> well, it always used to be very discouraging when, they, uh, when it was a very pretty girl who said, you know, please sign this. So, I'm so excited. It's for my grandfather. <laughs> 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 yes, that, that can be a bit demoralising. So, Russell, would you say, though, more broadly, that the young people still get the idea of a comic strip? The idea, the notion, like the Beano or whatever it might be, that, that idea of getting something, is that something which is sort of dying out, do you think? I don't think they have the attention span to read four entire frames of a cartoon. We are talking about the TikTok generation where the average length is about 12 seconds. I mean, my 11-year-old daughter watches stuff and it's so short and just then swipes well, something cartoons else. cartoons are quite wordy. Yes, I mean, yes. We both kind of, uh, sometimes have to have a rest exactly. on our first two I'll frames. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm not sure that, uh, that whether it's the right art form, but, you know, we... We, have, we, we do jokes about You don't know things come and go actually I, I mean I would say things you know you really don't know and I I actually have faith in cartoons and I think that um, people are I've, I find around the place they're interested by people that do things that are hand drawn in a way that they kind of weren't 15 years ago I would say hmm. there's um, a sort of novelty and mystique to it I mean it's probably like vinyl or something it was partly people aren't taught you know normal drawing in schools so much possibly but yeah people I, th I think people like it. I think it probably will. It, you know, it's a form which will find its way back through somehow. Cartoons still. They, th the other thing about cartoons is actually they do work quite well on social media. Whatever you say, they're, they're kind of short, simple, fill up a little space. So actually, the, the frames of our cartoon strip work quite well on a telephone. You can read them one at a time, and it's fine. Yeah, we've got an app. They're quite nice on the app. Yeah, the yeah, individual yeah. frames. Russell, we, we were you were saying a moment ago that there's an irony that you thought you created this comic strip, maybe slightly tongue-in-cheek, put people off a career in the city to kind of satirise the worst excesses of yuppiedom, only to find that people had kind of embraced it and not maybe seen the joke, or seen the joke and thought, actually, I quite fancy it anyway. One banker but, friend of mine says, Alex is his moral compass. <laughs> very worrying. <laughs> what? Very worrying. So, but just more broadly, I mean, obviously, you know, we talked about comic strips, but cartoons in a newspaper as a form of satire have been around for a very long time going back to the 18th century think of Hogarth and Punch and things it was a they very to, not in newspapers I'd actually say the comic strip form started in probably around the turn of the century right. you know, so it's been going for about 120 years but the single panel to make a political point that's been yeah, around for a yeah, long time which we don't do very you don't well, do sadly, no. but yeah. I'm, I'm curious to know 
whether you think that there have been times with Alex, and maybe Alex is a slightly more gentle playing it for laughs, but are there times when you've been writing Russell and Alex Strip and you think, actually, we can get away with saying things in this context, which you couldn't do if you were just a writer of text journalist in the newspaper? Yeah, that, that's true. There was a time, perhaps when a few years ago, perhaps when we had more of a relationship with the Telegraph, when there were journalists would give me stories that they couldn't run because they would be libelous. For example, the time when two big banks were taking one another over. It was UBS and SBC in back in the 90s. And so we did in the cartoon, we did Megabank and Metrobank taking each other over. Now everyone knew what we were referring to and we could use stories, real stories that happened. Like one time they realised they'd fired all the women and looked really bad on them. We put that in the cartoon. Everyone knew what it was about, but it wasn't actionable. And it works both ways as well. There's some stories that we can't use because they're too close to the truth that I can mm. then feed to the journalists and say, well, I've heard this story, but no one would believe it. I put it in the cartoon. It's so ridiculous. You might as well run it. So, yes, that, that's... We could do jokes about Metrobank in those days. Yes. <laughs> we made up Metrobank. They, they stole the name. Oh, they used it as a placeholder name. To yeah, be fair, the guy, the guy that started did buy me lunch once to apologise. Oh, well, fair enough. <laughs> um, and I think the weird thing is that sometimes you... I mean, we do jokes, and if people have a complete sense of humour failure about it, then we feel we've actually got our point through. So when people won't laugh at all, it is kind of a, a good thing for us. Do you, do you have to, Charles, do you have to put your material through some sort of sign-off process, or do you have pretty much co copy control over uh, you know, insisting? In the, in the old days, we, uh, we pretty much did what we liked, I think, and occasionally we'd be told off or told it was unacceptable. Uh, nowadays, they're much more careful nowadays about anything. And they're careful about legalities, obviously, but also, in a way, you know, upsetting their readers or whatever. Employees. That's more of a case nowadays. Yeah, yeah, them employees. That's more of a thing nowadays than it used to be, yeah. And, Russell, you, you said that over the years tried hard to keep abreast of what's going on in the city, keep contact with friends and people you know. Uh, stay abreast of things and, and one of the phenomena what we see in recent times particularly post-pandemic is the advent of people working from home and not really coming into the office and Alex has always been a strip which is about work and the workplace do you, do you think that this new fashion for remote working is diminishing the uh, relevance of it or do you think it's just another thing to to poke fun at and, and uh, satirise. Well, we've got a lot of jokes out of it, actually. I, I have to look this morning on the website, and we've done 128 jokes about working from home. Uh, it, was just, it was just very, very funny, these, these bankers all suddenly having to work from home and fighting with their kids who were all trying to play Roblox and using up all the bandwidth when Daddy was trying to have a conference call with his clients. That was all very funny. And now, of course, there's this, the corollary, which is now the bosses trying to get everyone back to the office. There's now RTO, return to office, as mm. well as uh, working from home. So that's sort of interesting. And I'm not quite sure why the bosses are doing it. I think it's just because the idea, they want to preside over an office of minions and underlings and feel important because they say it's about, oh, the creative flow of ideas and the spontaneous interactions. But So this is a very interesting dynamic 
people refusing to go back to work and bosses not being able to make them. I mean, the, the, we've got so many jokes about it. I think it's very yeah, interesting yeah, sort of, like yeah. I said, a dynamic in terms of who's going to win. I don't know. Or well, AI, probably. AI. <laughs> Do you think, Charles, that uh, maybe there's... F- uh, who knows how it will play out in, the, in a few years' time, but... I think it's fair to say it's been a shift away from this idea that you turn up every day and do a kind of ten-hour shift. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that sort of for young people it's almost sad that they're going to sort of miss out on some of that intrigue and the affairs and the disgraceful conduct yeah. and all I mean, that uh, kind of thing? I would imagine so, yeah. I mean, Russ and I always, always used to say to each other that after a while, any job, the most interesting thing about it is what's for lunch and salacious gossip about other people in the office. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think they are missing out. Charles and I both always worked from home. Both we did have an office for no, a while. We had an office for a while. But uh, yeah. since since the internet came along and we could email each other, we worked from home. Transform- and transformative. It's it's I've always done that, and, and it's but it's a difficult discipline to, to because people do need two spaces. So there's a great story I think about the artist Magritte. I hope the story's true. Apparently he used to he had his studio in the back of his house, and he'd get up in the morning, put on his trademark bowler hat and suit. Mm-hmm go out of his front door, walk around the block, let himself back in the front door, in the back door, put on his artist's smock and berry, do his painting, and reverse the process in the evening because he had to physically go to work rather than just let himself into his studio. And I like that idea that people need a physical workspace where they are, A, supervised, and B, as Charles said, you know, they have a bit of human interaction and they can and enjoy themselves. This brings us really, in many ways, to the $64,000 question, which I'm sure you've been asked before, and we've talked about the fact that you know that Alex has evolved and grown up over the years with 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 the cartoon. So, what does the future hold? Is, is he on the cusp of retirement, and will he will he be doing cartoon strips from his sort of care home or in his <laughs> garden centre? What 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 what's going to happen to Alex Russell? Well, we have put him in a financial boutique, so he started his own. He's company. still working. He's still well, basically for two reasons. One is he's. If we are sticking with this ageing in real time, which we sort of are, he's probably a bit too old to have a job at Megabank, unless he was CEO, and he's probably slightly too old even to be CEO, to be honest. So we put given his own little business, because a lot of the guys I know, they're not necessarily working for Megabank anymore, but they're still got a bit of skin Involved. in the game. I think because they love it. Sometimes they've got divorced and haven't got any money, or they just like doing it. They don't know what else to do, and they would get bored playing golf. So we think Alex is like that. Would he retire one day? Could we think of jokes about him retiring? Uh, yeah, we've had him, I'm, I'm sure, yeah. And probably jokes about him getting his job back. I mean, I tend to think of it as more like, yeah, how the world moves on and nobody foresaw COVID. And COVID, you know, I should whisper it, but it was good for us, really, wasn't it, Russell? Like, like yes. all things that go wrong and are bad, like crashes and things like that, it's good for cartoonists, <laughs> you know, got to be honest. And as long as things go wrong, we're still in business, basically. I feel as if the next big one is AI, but then when you try and predict anything, you always get it wrong. There'll probably be something else that comes along which is big and a change and nobody foresaw and we'll be there writing jokes about it, I well, suppose. Well, Alex, had a, he had a um, flirtation with politics, so maybe like uh, Lord Cameron, he might find himself brought back into <laughs> yeah. government in some form. Yeah, I mean... I Stranger things have yeah. happened. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you both, and my thanks to Charles Peaty and Russell Taylor, authors, artists, creators, and moral shepherds of Alex <laughs> Masterly. Yeah. Uh, you can find out more about their work and enjoy a comprehensive archive of Alex cartoons by following the links to alexcartoon.com in the show notes, which are available on our website, 
hudsonsandler.com. You can also find links to other episodes of the Fair and Square podcast series and more information about Hudson Sandler's work in the UK and around the world. Please do also follow Hudson Sandler on Twitter, a.k.a. X, at Hudson Sandler. But for now, until the next episode, from me, Adam Batstone, goodbye. To find out more about Hudson Sandler, our team, our culture and our thinking, visit our website, hudsonsandler.com. Thank you.